0: I know that's a shocker, chapter 20, kind of hold your finger there because we'll be in 21 as well. We have been traveling with the people of Israel for some time now, and as we approach chapter 20, we are approaching and, and going into chapter 20, we are going into a chapter of transition, 20 and 21 are chapters of transition, probably the second great transition of the book. The first great transition being uh, what we read earlier as Israel was standing on the edge of the promised land and chose to disobey. And they chose to turn back into the wilderness rather than go in and take control of what the Lord had set before them. That was the first transition. The second transition now is one from one generation to the next. This first generation that we're we're talking about, they had seen some incredible things, right? In Exodus, if you back up even out of the book that we're in, in Exodus they had seen God's power to deliver them from slavery in the land of Egypt. They had seen the ten plagues that had happened to that nation. They had seen a whole country, their nation of Israel crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and then that sea come back and cover the armies of Pharaoh. They had traveled to Mount Sinai and seen the Ten Commandments given and the law as God descended upon that mountain. They had observed miracles in the wilderness whether it be through manna or quail or whether it be through water being provided at the right time, in the right place. They had seen God's discipline and God's judgment. They had seen so much. Yet sadly, their generation was marked as one of rebellion and stubbornness. And because of that, God had announced to them earlier that they would wander in the desert for 40 years. That their generation would not be able to go into the blessing of the promised land. And so as we come to chapter 20, that's where we find ourselves. As we approach chapter 20 this morning, we are looking at the end, so to speak, of that generation. It's the end of the wandering. And so hopefully by now you found chapter 20. Let us stand as we read Numbers chapter 20. We're not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to, you're going to have to follow through with me closely because we're going to kind of skip through 20 and 21. But let's start in chapter 20, verse 1. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. That sounds familiar. Go down to verse 10. They grumble, a grumbling that we've all heard before. Moses goes to the Lord. The Lord gives him instruction. And then Moses and Aaron respond. Verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Go over to chapter twenty-one, verse one. It says When the Canaanite, the king of Ered, who lived in the Negbah, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Athram, he found he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord, saying, and said, If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel and gave over the Canaanites and they devoted their their cities to destruction. So the name of that place was called Hormah. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on the pole, on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is life to us. Lord, if we will look into it, if we will grab hold of it, if we will struggle with it, if we will study it, We will ask, Lord, you will reveal it to us. You will reveal to us what life is. You'll reveal to us what our next step is to be. You will reveal to us what we are to be about and who we are. Father, not only that, but you will reveal to us who you are. And how we can have a relationship with you. Father, I pray this morning that, Lord, as we read through these two chapters, as we look into these two chapters, that you would help us, help us to apply some things, help us to internalize some things. Lord, that your spirit would make us different. Father, we pray that you would speak this morning, for we are listening. I pray this. In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Chapter 20. Chapter 20 is the passing of a generation. It's the passing of a generation. As we go into chapter 20, we are at the end of the wandering. For 40 years, Israel has been going in a large circle, more or less. They have had no certain destination. They have had no certain purpose other than to wait for a large expanse of them to pass on. That was it. We see the depth of that in the book itself. As we started out Numbers, We saw about a chapter every other day being recorded. There was so much happening. God was speaking into their midst so much that there was constantly something for Moses to record. And yet, when we go into the wandering, we get but a few chapters. We get but a few chapters because nothing, nothing was happening. Nothing of importance was Moses to record. But chapter 20 marks the end of it. But it is not, chapter 20 in of itself is not a happy chapter. Chapter 20 is not one of rejoicing about, yay, we get to move on to the next thing. Because chapter 20 reveals the end of one generation. We see in chapter 20 the passing of Miriam and Aaron. There at the beginning of the chapter, we read that part together we don't even get much about her death. Miriam, of course, being the sister of Moses, she was she's called in other places a prophetess. She was an important figure in the life of the people of Israel, and yet we see her death kind of come and go. It's a representation of really all of the people of Israel of that generation. Their life was marked by its uneventfulness in some ways. Then we see the death of Aaron. Moses' brother. This we're given a little bit more about. We're, we are told there at the rebellion that we'll come back to. But that Aaron, this is where it's shown that Aaron will not go into the promised land. That he will pass away before that happens. And so Moses takes Aaron and Aaron's son Eleazar up on a mountain and there the garments of the high priesthood are transferred from father to son and Aaron joins his people as it says there in our passage in verse 24 he's there he's there to be gathered to his people so they come off the mountain and the people wept for Aaron 30 days We have this passing of these two great members of the life of Israel and the people of Israel. Symbolizing the passing of the people themselves. We also have a change in leadership in chapter 20. And that change in leadership does not come lightly. In the midst of between, settled between here, between the death of Miriam and the death of Aaron, we have a generation's last rebellion, and it leads to a change in leadership. It will be the change of leadership from Moses to someone else. It will be the note that we get that Moses will not be the one to lead them into the promised land. And in this last rebellion, God's going to show himself holy. If you'll turn to the next slide. This is the last rebellion of a rebellious generation. They had continually Grumbled before the Lord, and you'll remember that when we talk about grumbling, when we talk about rebellion, it's not just the words that were coming out of their mouth. It's not just the things they were saying. It was their whole attitude, their whole attitude of disobedience, their whole attitude of of angst against the Lord, of unsettlement in his midst. And so they come in the midst of this wilderness, and they come one last time to to complain. To rebel. To say there's not enough water. There's not enough for us to live upon. Why did you bring us to this place? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Why did you not let us just charge into battle? Even if God wasn't going to be with us. It would have been better to pass at the sword than to die of thirst. And we didn't read part of that in part because we've heard it all before. They have learned absolutely nothing in 40 years. And Moses and Aaron hit the deck, as we talked about last week. Moses and Aaron fall on their face before the Lord, and they ask for a commandment. And God tells them, go to this rock and speak to it, and it will give out the water that you're looking for. But Moses Moses snaps. We don't know why, really. Like, why now? He had been in front of this people so many times. He had seen so much rebellion. He had seen so much disobedience. We're not sure why it's this moment that he chooses just to kind of lose his mind for a moment. But you see there in verse 10, he gives this speech. He says, here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? He is mad. He is mad. He is upset. He calls them rebels. He's he's not even pulling punches at this point. He says, you are a rebellious people. You're you're just a whole lot of you. What do you want from me? Do you want water out of this rock? Then I'll give you water out of this rock. Kind of reminds me of my dad's phrase. Do you want something to cry about? You know how that ends. Like, Moses is angry. He is upset, he is emotional, and it is in this moment of anger, and it is in this moment of emotion that he takes the stick in his hand, and he whacks it. He just strikes that rock, and then he does it again. I don't know about you, but I've been angry enough to strike things with sticks. I get it. You've ever been that frustrated? Frustrated? Have you ever had, like, you can feel the redness climbing up your face? You can feel that vein in your forehead throbbing. You can see the looks of the people around you as their eyes get bigger. That's where Moses was at. And for a moment, he allows his anger and his emotion to get the best of him. And he makes one slight misstep. He misses the bullseye by that much. He strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock. He disobeys the commandment of the Lord. Now we're not told what all this entails. If you look at those that comment, those that have better degrees than I do and sharper minds, you'll get a whole wide range of what the issue was here. Why God took this seriously. Some will say that it's just the simple act of of speaking versus striking the rock. Some will say it's the attitude with which Moses does this. Like if he hadn't have done it in anger, it probably wouldn't have been that big a deal. Some will point you back to a verse in Exodus that says that God is on that God will appear on the rock, basically that God had said, I'm here in this, and so the act of God Moses striking the rock was really his rebellion against God, like and but we don't know that. We're not sure of that. There's not a direct connection there. As I studied this though, as as I poured over this, as I prayed over this, I came to this realization though, I don't think it matters. I don't think it really matters why or what was all in store or all all encompassed here in Moses' disobedience. The point is that he disobeyed. The point is that he sinned. He missed the bullseye. And it doesn't matter if you miss the bullseye by two ticks or if you miss the bullseye by not even hitting the board, it scores the same. It's not a direct hit. And so Moses, though he had been a great servant, though he had been a model leader, he misses the mark, and God tells him, you're not going in. Because You did not revere me in this moment because you did not uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. You will not lead them in. And we're reminded here in this passage, and Israel is reminded here in this passage, that all are equal before a holy God. All people are equal before a holy God. It didn't matter that Moses was the leader. It didn't matter that Moses had done the right thing throughout the rest of this book. It didn't matter that he was the the miracle worker. It didn't matter that he had been patient every time before this. It didn't matter. When you sin against God, you miss the mark. And the consequence of missing the mark is that you don't get to experience His blessing. In the the end, you end up experiencing the consequence. The people got to see that. They got to see, sadly, got to see their leader make a mistake. And once again, they're reminded that this is a holy God who does not tolerate sin, who does not make exceptions based on who you are. If you miss the mark, you miss the mark. And so we see the change of leadership. For Moses, it is not immediate. It would be some time. It would be some time would pass before Moses, this was realized in Moses' life. In fact, he would get to go up on a mountain and see into the promised land, but he just wouldn't get to experience it. He wouldn't get to be a part of that. Can't imagine (laughs) I can't imagine how heart wrenching that had to have been. For Moses to know I mean this close. Aaron's Aaron's tied to this because he was also in the leadership. Aaron's passing comes a little bit quicker. But we see this transition and so as we get to the end of 20 20's not a happy go lucky passage. As we see the end of this generation it's kind of a bummer. Not kind of it is a bummer. Miriam dies, Aaron dies. This generation that had been rebellious that you would hope 40 years would teach them something has learned nothing. They rebel again. That rebellion sends Moses into a tizzy. He snaps. He sins. Now he's not in. You get to the end of 20 and you're like, man, is this ever going to happen? But then we get into 21. And 21 is the mark of a whole new generation. 21, you get into a whole new generation. Like I said, 20 is the end of the wandering. 20 is the symbolic, in some ways, end of the generation. You have the end of Miriam. You have the end of Aaron. You have the end of Moses' promise to go in. We're we're shown that there's going to be a new leader at that point. And so 21 is the mark, is the at least symbolic mark of a new generation. We understand that, you know, it's not just a clean break. There's going to be some... Some older generation in there, but the newer ones have obviously come of age. And 21 starts out kind of exciting. Like if you've been bored with numbers so far, 21, boom. They're get they traveling. They're actually headed somewhere, and a king, a Canaanite king, comes against them, and he attacks them, and he takes some of them captive. So now we've got a kidnap situation, and now we've got a rescue mission that's got to happen. Now we're in some exciting stuff, right? Like now's where the movie gets real. All right. So the we are they come and this, this new generation says, look, we don't care if they're Canaanites, we don't care if they're warriors. God, if you say we can go, we're gonna go, and we'll do whatever you want us to do. We'll wipe these people out if that's what you want. And God gives them the go ahead and they go and they get this grand victory. They rescue the captives, they they torch the cities, and and that's another another sermon for another day on the Canaanites and, and the destruction of, of whole villages, but, but they do exactly what God wants to do, and they experience this great first victory. Great first victory. It's good stuff. We, we, we're starting to go, well, maybe this new generation's got it. Maybe this new generation has it figured out. They're going to they're gonna do what God tells them to do. They're going to go when he tells them to go. They're going to they're gonna follow the letter of the law. And then you read verse four. And you get to the end of verse four, and it says, And the people became impatient on the way. And this people, and verse five, people spoke against God and against Moses. And your heart falls out. Have you ever? Uh, I'm sure more of you have. I'm sure you have. But have you ever like, do you remember what it's like to watch a kid ride a bike for the first time? And you're like holding on to the back seat and they're riding. And, and you've taken the training rules off, like you've practiced this, you know they can do it, and you're running with them, and you've got a hold of the seat, and then you let go, and they're riding, and you're like, "Woo! they've got it, this is awesome. I don't, have to, I don't have to follow them every day now. And then they get like 10 feet from you, and they fall over, and then you can hear the crying start like almost immediately. And it's just like, ugh. Like, I thought they had it. They did not. And your heart just sinks. Or, or you watch, you watch a teenager, and and I say this because I was this teenager. You watch a teenager, and they've made stupid mistake after stupid mistake, and they just they they're not getting life, and they're they're rebelling. And then you see them do something good. You see them like it's like a light bulb went off, and you're like, woo! We we have gotten through the teenage years. This is awesome. You know, like no more worrying at night and then they come home the next day and they've wrecked the car again like and you're like oh here we go again that's how i kind of feel reading numbers chapter 21 like you see this great victory you see them obey the lord and then you get to verse 5 and it's the people got impatient and they grumbled against moses and god and they say things that are very familiar like, tell me if you've heard this one before. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? You were, like, one when that happened. Like, this is a new generation. We've heard this before. For there is no food, no water. We loathe this worthless food. They're in rebellion. <laughs> These people are in rebellion. That's the next point there. They're, they're in rebellion. But here's the thing. This is the mark of a new generation, right? Right? Like we said that at the beginning, they got this victory, we've seen the past, this this is the new, what's going on here? They're going back to what they know, folks. They watched for decades as mom and dad, every time something got difficult, they said, they rebelled and they whined and they complained. This new generation, something difficult came along and so what did they do? They whined, they complained, they grumbled. Why? Because that's what mom and dad did. That's what we know. They went back to their first instinct. This is a a side soapbox, okay? So just kind of put that on pause. Parents, grandparents, those of us that are part of the church family, we're raising another generation. They're going to go back to what they know at some point. They're going to go back to what they've seen at some point. And when you come to a fork in the road, know that they're watching which direction you choose. Because they're going to think that's the way we should always make the decision. They're going to think that's the way we handle this when it comes up again. I was reading a study this week, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I was reading a, a study this week, and Among evangelical millennials, evangelical millennials, not not millennials in general, evangelicals, which apparently I'm part of now. I used to be Generation X. They've moved the target on me. Now I'm a millennial. I'm not happy about it, but it is what it is. Among that generation, 47%, 47% said it is wrong to evangelize a person of another faith whether they be Muslim or Hindu, Mormon, it is wrong to evangelize. Of that same generation, I think it was 38% said that if someone disagrees with you that they're passing judgment on you. Of that same generation, 14% said that knowing Jesus is not the best thing that could happen to you. 8%, 8%, I think it was 8 said, and I'll have to double check, I'll I'll get these for you, but 8% said that evangelism, sharing your faith, is not part of the Christian walk. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you begin to compare that to previous generations when you can begin to compare that to previous generations, that's triple the number. So what's going on here? We look at a young generation we're like, oh, I can't believe that. Why are they saying that? They're saying that because that's what they've observed. It's not what they've heard. What they've heard their entire lives, they grew up in church just like us. They've heard that evangelism is part of your faith. They've heard sharing your testimony is important. They've heard that we are to evangelize all people. They've heard the same things you and I have heard, but have they seen it? They're going back to what they have experienced, not just what they've heard. That's what Israel's doing here. They're falling back. They're, they are in a rough place. Lawrence of Arabia describes this as the most evil place on in Earth. Like this is a guy that just, that d- explored endless desert and he said this portion of the middle east is just evil like it's darkness and so they're traveling through that portion it's a rough place to go it would have been easier to go through edom but they couldn't do that so they're going around and they rebel and you're just like man this is going to go just the same way god does discipline he sends fiery serpents he thinks he says you think life's rough now wait till you see this so they get fiery serpents some of them begin to die but there's a difference here Notice the difference. Verse 7, and the people came to Moses. Notice that difference? What have we seen time and time again in the rebellions of Israel up to this point? It's not the people going to Moses. It is Moses interceding for the people. The people, even in the midst of discipline, don't get it. They don't understand what they've done wrong. And so Moses has to run in their midst and do something. Or he sends Aaron to run into their midst with incense to stop the plague. Here, though, the people get it. This new generation gets it. And they go to Moses and they say, we have sinned. They make confession here. We have sinned, for we spoke against Moses, or sorry, we spoke against the Lord and and against you. They confess. They say, we, we screwed up. We screwed up. You don't have to tell us that. You don't have to make intercession for us. We know what happened. We know why this is happening. And they ask Moses at that point, they say, okay, Moses, will you will you pray for us? Will you intercede for us? That's a difference, and it's a significant one. This is a new generation. They, yeah, they went back to what they had seen done. They went back to the griping and the complaining when things got hard. But when the discipline happened, they didn't act like mom and dad. They didn't act like grandpa and grandma. They saw it, and they said, we got to take care of this now because we don't, want, we don't want to wander for 40 years. We've experienced victory. We want to taste that again. And so, Lord, forgive us. And it's not just confession. Confession has a lot to do with you getting caught. I got caught. Yeah, I did that. Repentance is something different. And if you read through the rest of Numbers, they're going to make more mistakes. There's going to be some idol worship at some point. There's going to be more mistakes. But you're not going to see the grumbling. And the complaining, the way you see at the beginning of the book with the older generation. They're learning. They're changing. That's repentance. It's not only acknowledging what you've done. It's saying, I'm not going to do that again. We're going to go a different way here. What follows that? Well, first, what follows it is salvation. Moses prays to the Lord, and the Lord says, make a snake. It says bronze in your text. Another way to translate that would just be copper. And some translators say copper really makes more sense because it would have been red. Remember the red heifer, the red cedar wood, the red yarn? Red, that color has semblance for purification. So he makes this serpent, he puts it on a pole, and they are to look at it. They don't have to make a sacrifice. Like, like they don't have to do anything. They get bit by the snake, they go, ooh, that hurt, and then they turn and they look and it says, those that looked lived. If a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. You got to think maybe there were some that didn't look. There were some that went, ah, oh, I can triage that. I got this. Not so much. If a serpent bit anyone, he lived. By the way, there's a, an interesting connection here. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus in John three, fourteen through 16, and he says this, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so, the, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You probably heard 3.16. I'm just taking a wild guess. Did you know that it was connected to Numbers? just as the Israelites who were bitten by the, and then poisoned by the snake, all they had to do was turn and look and believe, so too you and I, when we are bit by the snake of sin and it poisons us and we face the consequences of it, all that we have to do is look and believe. That's the significance of 3.16. That whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. The Son of Man is not just some snake that lets you live a few more decades. The Son of Man, when he's raised up, when you look at him, he lets you live for eternity. Praise the Lord. So we see salvation come to the people of Israel. We see the connection to us as well. And then we see this chapter end with two more resounding winds. They go, they travel around Edom, they get up on the other side of the Jordan across from Jericho, think in that area, okay, they're not in the promised land, they're across the river from the promised land. And they defeat Sion and Og. I didn't name these places. Sion and Og. And apparently they were, there was some strength there. Og had defeated, and Sion had defeated Moab. We're going to see Moab's terrified because they're like, man, if, they, if Israel defeated Sion and Og, what are they going to do to us? These weren't pushovers, but there was a difference. This generation, this generation trusted him. There in verse 34, Moses has sent a spy into the kingdom of Og, and the, the king has come out against them. And verse 34 It says, the Lord said to Moses, do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand and all his people and his land. And you shall do to him as you did to Sion, the king of the Amorites who lived at Heshbon. So they defeated him and his sons and all his people. This generation, this generation has. They've screwed up, yes. But they've experienced repentance. Repentance. They have experienced salvation, and now through obedience, they are experiencing victory. They get it. They're like, it doesn't matter how powerful these guys are. It doesn't matter how many armies they have. It doesn't matter who they've beaten in the past. We have God, and that's enough. And they just begin beating nation after nation. 21 ends on a high as much as 20 ends on a low. Chapter 20, we see the end of a generation who has been marked by rebellion and they didn't learn a thing. 21, we see a new generation who gets it. And the end of 21, we see a nation who was obedient. There's a famous hymn that I'm guessing most of you know, if not all of you says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. Let us do his good will. He abides with us still and with all who trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. These people got that. They looked up, and they believed, and they were saved. But it didn't just end there. It ended with obedience. Brothers and sisters, and Jason, I'm not, I'm not going to do the last slide. Brothers and sisters, what are we to take from this? We've talked about forever, about that there's an example here that that Paul tells us these words were written down as our example. I think this morning, I think this morning it's clear as we look at the transition between these two generations, as we ask the question, what was different here? It's about obedience. It's about obedience. The first generation looked and they said, we're Israel. We're Israel. Why is everything not just coming easy? We don't have to do anything else. Everything should just be handed to us. Everything should just go our way. We're already the people of God. Bow to us. The second generation understood, yeah, we're the people of Israel. We're the people of God. That means obedience. That means doing what he set us out to do. We have a task. Let's get to it. We have a choice, brothers and sisters. We have a choice. We can sit on our laurels and we can say, I'm a child of God. I have fire insurance. Everything's golden. And we can do nothing And we will never, never see the blessings of God. Or we can say, yes, he has saved me. But he has saved me for good work. He has saved me for kingdom work. And I'm going to obey. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. Sometimes it's a tough road. But the blessings at the end, the victories that come, are indescribable. They're indescribable. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're going to have just a short time of response. The people of Israel, they sinned. They they had done things that were inappropriate. They got bit by a snake. And all they had to do was turn and believe. But there was a response needed. Brothers and sisters, we've had the word of God presented before us today. There are choices that he is calling us to. Maybe it's something in the sermon. Maybe it's something that you've been dealing with this week. But God calls us to response. But we have to respond. (laughs) Like it's not just a, uh, it'll be taken care of. You have to turn and you have to look up. You have to believe. And so as we sing, as we respond, as we come together as a church for a response, you respond. You respond as the Lord would lead you. Let's pray.